This is the Greatest Story Ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. My mission with this podcast is to collect stories that seem completely crazy but actually happened. Thinking everyone has that moment that made them laugh, cry, or say, what? One person who seems like they could be a future guest on this podcast is Brooklyn-based photographer Jeremy Cohen, who may have found love in the era of social distancing. See, Cohen saw a woman from his apartment window while she was dancing on a rooftop nearby. Since he was under self-isolation, he decided to send a drone over with his phone number on it, And according to Cohen, she texted him uh, shortly thereafter. Now, Cohen claims to have since gone on a first quote-unquote date with the mystery woman, whose name is Tori, by arranging simultaneous socially distanced dinner plans with him on his balcony and her on her rooftop. Dinner went well, apparently, leading Cohen to say he was going to take things to the next level, which, as you know, could be a little complicated here in the era of social distancing. But he decided to get inside a large inflatable bubble and go meet Tori in person. It's love in the time of COVID. My guest this week is comedian Andrew Heaton, who I first became aware of several years ago when he was doing some hilarious video content for the libertarian site Reason. Now he's the host of two great podcasts, The Political Orphanage, a podcast for people who want to know about what's going on in the world, but don't want to become a part of the partisan brick-throwing contest, and alienating the audience where he does a deep dive on movies, TV, and general geekery. But I'm talking to Andrew about the days several years ago when he was guilty of unintentional international arms smuggling. Thanks so much for joining me, Andrew. My pleasure, Keith. Thank you for having me on. And uh, I know that uh, uh, you you have a story that uh, involves, I I don't know, one could say uh, international intrigue. Yes, and uh, I, yeah. so so set the scene for me as far as the 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 incident in question. I got detained for gun running one time. Yeah, uh, th- when, see, when see I, that's a, that's a headline was, that most people don't have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it uh, yeah. I mean, I, I it, it turned out okay. Uh, it turned out okay, uh, but uh, but but there there was a kerfuffle. Um, so uh, when I was in college, uh, I went to the UK. Uh, to do a study abroad at Bracenose College, Oxford. And my friend Evan and I, who later became a roommate, we, we uh, took the opportunity to, to backpack around the United Kingdom and Ireland, and we, uh, we spent some time in Scotland. I'd never been there before. It was my first time. We went up to, uh, to Loch Ness. And while we were there, we were at some gift shop, and there were these replica dueling pistols that I saw. And I thought, well, those would be great gifts for my, my brother and my friend. I'm going to get those replica dueling pistols. They're these kind of, you know, nice brass, fake, pearl-handled-looking things. It's not like pirates would use, right? So uh, I buy these. We, you know, continue drinking our way across the United Kingdom. And finally, it's time for us to fly out of Gatwick. And we're there. Um, some guy walks. The, we're, we're in line at the airport. And somebody walks by and, and he's going, hello, anything to report in your luggage? And we're like, no, no, we're fine. And he's like, all right, you, sir, you, sir. And he gets to me and he's like, all right, sir, do you have any, uh, any food or weapons or, uh, you know, soil samples? And I was like, no, nope, none of that. 
because I'm from Oklahoma. Like, I don't like toy guns are not in the same category as guns in my my mind. That is not how they work. So I was like, nope, nothing to report. Everything's no, good. And, and especially when you're traveling like internationally, you're not thinking like a a, a souvenir like like you have. Yeah. You're thinking, did I grab an apple off the uh, you know at the at the snack bar at at the airport, and I'm I'm bringing in a foreign 100%. fruit or something. I was, if anything, I was concerned that I'd stepped in like sheep dung and would somehow inadvertently infect America with hoof and mouth disease or something like that. I'm sure that's what I was worried about at the time, uh, but uh, not worried about weapons. Um, <clears throat> incidentally, leading up to this, Evan had lost his credit card, and so he had been fending his way. Uh, he he'd been using me as as the bank of Heaton um, <laughs> to to you know take care of his uh, his minor living expenses and yeah. pay me back and all that. But sure, he lost um, his credit card. Sure, <laughs> um, we're we're in this airport, and so I'm I'm used to like Evan going, hey, like can I can I borrow some money? I I, I need to get some coffee or whatever, um, and and I'll pay you back later. And so we we've split up, and I'm I'm you know I'm getting food or whatever, and we're we're at Gatwick, we're separate from each other. I'm on the the moving sidewalk, and I hear this announcer over the airport wide speaker system go, "Passenger Heaton, you are urgently needed at Terminal Eight. Passenger Heaton, urgently needed at Terminal 8. And I'm thinking, Evan, calm the hell down. I mean, geez, like <laughs> I'll be there in a minute. I'll get you some coffee." calm down so i i get all angry and huffy and i i make my way to terminal eight and uh, i get there and there's this british woman arms akimbo waiting for me and i'm like hey i'm passenger heat and what is it and she goes are you smuggling dueling pistols and i went oh no no and uh uh, after that, it was just a cavalcade of interesting people that I had to talk to. Um, <laughs> several representatives of the airline came over um, to inform me that they had delayed a 747 international flight because of my antics, their words. And uh, uh, eventually, uh, like about five guys, five British guys in, in flat jackets uh, with uh, semi-automatic weapons came up and uh, went, you know, uh, you're heating? Yeah. All right. Come with us. And uh, they took me out, uh, put me in a van, and drove out to the middle of the tarmac. Uh, like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and uh, we get out, we, we, get, we, we get to another van, and they go, uh, hey, Mr. Heaton, is that your bag? Uh, yes, it's my bag. All right. Now, did they, did they actually it? have the, the giant, uh, like, Hurt Locker bomb suit? Uh, I... They, it, it looked like they were about to go into a firefight. I don't remember, yeah. like, they, didn't, they weren't dressed for bombs. They were dressed for uh, they were dressed for something bad gonna happen, and and we were we were far enough away that if, if something exploded or went off, it was pretty unlikely anybody would get shot. But what I what I remember about them, um, they were really chipper. They were really nice. Like if, if like I I have a theory that the friendliest, most polite people on the planet are Englishmen holding guns. Like you take that you take that native. English etiquette, and you combine it with a fearlessness of knowing you're one of eight armed people on that entire island, and you get a very polite person. Uh, so they were, were there, and they go, you know, it's your bag, yes. Uh, would you please open your bag? And so I opened the bag, and, you know, I can kind of see this this uh, uh, bubble-wrapped, or uh, I, I, I can see the handle of this, this fake pistol poking out, and they go, Mr. Heaton, would you please pull out the offending weapon? And I go, uh, and like, I'm, by the way, I'm a coward. And I'm just shaking at this point. 
And uh, I, 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 I pull these things out. They're rattling. You know, I'm trying to keep them barreled down so that nobody <laughs> blunts my head off. And I, I pull them out and I'm like, these, these, these fake replicadulic pistols that I got. Uh, and uh, and they, they pause and go, oh, those are nice. Where'd you get those? You used to have to go to Spain for, for a, a dueling pistol replicas of that quality. Where'd you get them? I'm like, I, I, got, I got them in Dromda Docket. When I was up at Lockhurst, and they're like, "Oh, uh, uh, cheerio then, cheerio then, uh, very good, dude. all right." And I, uh, I, I start jamming them back into the bag, and some guy with a gun goes, "Stop!" And I nearly piss myself, and I freeze. <laughs> nearly. Goes, oh yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. He goes, uh, "Stop!" We have bubble wrap, Cedric. And this guy comes over and bubble wraps my replica dueling pistols for me and then gingerly places them in the bag. Uh, <laughs> and then they, it, they, it, it all goes off. And I have this surreal conversation with these guys about cravats and what they think about cravats. And uh, they take me back to, the, uh, back to the terminal. I'm the last passenger to go on the plane, which, again, I have delayed. And I have never had a more frosty reception going onto a plane because <laughs> I delayed it by several hours. And when I got to, uh, we, we flew from there to, I think, to Dallas or maybe to Houston. I don't remember. It was Texas either way. Uh, it was the port of entry for the United States. So I'm coming in, and I'm doing that um, custom stuff. And the guy at the desk uh, is like, you know, anything to report? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I, well, I should make this very clear. I have replica dueling pistols in my bag. They are, they are not real. They cannot fire. And he looked at me like I was the dumbest person he'd met that day. And he's like, so they're not real guns. And I was like, no. And he's like, then why are you telling me? Welcome to Texas. And like, that was, <laughs> it's like, well, first of it. all, very, very different alarm rating in Texas. Yeah. You, you would almost expect the guy in Texas to be like, okay, we're going to, we're going to turn these into real guns because this is Texas. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like he'd pull out a drill. Yeah. And like, uh, like, like poke a hole through the back and then give me some black powder. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we, we don't allow people in here with fake guns. Only, only the real ones. <laughs> you can't. All right. <clears throat> I'll let you in. But you can't vote till you get a pistol. <laughs> so, uh, ha- have you actually uh, uh, made any return trips across the pond since then, or did did you decide you know I, one and running with know, with security is enough? Uh, I no, I've made several trips to the UK. I go back every year because I, I I subsequently lived in Scotland. I, I lived there after I graduated. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. I, I lived there after I graduated, and then I, I went back to Scotland a couple of years later and got my master's degree. So I've lived there several times, but I have run into trouble. Um, I not not to do with guns. Um, I when I was when I was getting my master's degree in Scotland, uh, I, I became a tour guide, uh, which I know that I'm not Scottish. Your listeners can probably hear that I'm not Scottish, but I am a stand-up comedian with a degree in history, and I focused on British history. And on top of that, the second Scotsmen get tour guide licenses they immediately go to Spain because they don't want to be in a cold country. So I am the best option that they have available to them. And I'll <laughs> add, I'm very good at it. And so I was a part-time tour guide while I was getting this master's degree. Now, me being a foreigner and being a polite guy who wants to obey the laws of the land, um, I uh, filed with the British tax uh, agency as a foreigner, or whatever, whatever the relevant bureaucracy was. I basically said, hey, I'm in your country, but I'm a student, and I'm permitted to do this. I'm just letting you know that I'm here and I'm doing this, which I greatly regret doing, incidentally, because um, about a year later, this is after I'd left the UK. I'm back in, like, I think I'm back in D.C. at this time. Um, I get this fancy letter from Her Majesty's 
Her Majesty's revenue, whatever the IRS equivalent is, the you know the 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 UK. I don't like Her Majesty's Customs and Revenue or something like that. But the tax people send me this letter that's like, dear Mister Heaton. Uh, you have not filed for your taxes in the United Kingdom. You are delinquent in your payments for the United Kingdom. We are summarily charging you a three thousand pound fee, uh, or, or something to that effect. And like I didn't know I had to file taxes because, uh, for one, I'm a foreigner, and two, I'm, I'm making well below the taxable income threshold uh, for for the UK that year. I mean, I was just working for grocery money. It was it was not. If I'd been a British citizen, they would not have taxed me at all. So I didn't think I needed to do anything because I'm leaving. Why would I? Why would I care? But that's not how bureaucrats think, Keith. Of that's course not. not how bureaucracy yeah. works. So uh, I wrote them a letter back that explained all this. Of uh, I'm a foreigner. I don't live in your country. And I, I also worked below the taxable income threshold. I trust that this matter is settled. And they send me a letter like maybe on July 4th or July, not July 4th, but like let's say like July 20th. I receive a letter from Her Majesty's Customs and Revenue Office. And this, this letter that I received because it's international on July 20th says uh, – Dear Mr. Heaton, this is not a problem. You can appeal this decision as long as you do so before June 15th. Uh, after June 15th, we will charge you another thousand pounds uh, for failing to deal with this matter. So, like, and I had to write a letter back. It's like, hey, because of the way the time space continuum works, I can't respond to things you send me that have a have a, a due date after the time that I receive them, like, or before the time I receive them. I just I can't do that. And we keep having these back and forth. And I finally, I finally called the tax office and get a hold of somebody. And I'm like, hey, look, uh, I like, if, if, are, are you guys going to declare war on America if I don't pay this? <laughs> and, and they were like, no, very unlikely. <laughs> We've done that before, actually. Didn't work out. We're gonna, we'll let you do your own thing. I was like, okay, if I fly back here, are you going to arrest me? And they were like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. And uh, and I went, like, okay, so like, what, like, what's the consequence here to me not paying this? late fee on taxes that I didn't need to pay. And, and they, they thought about it. And went, well, it could be an issue for you if you wish to move to the United Kingdom. It could be, could be a problem for you if you wish to immigrate someday, uh, which actually could be a problem. There's a chance someday I'll move to Scotland. I'm a bit worried about that. Uh, but I'm like, okay, I'll take it. Thank you very much. So a month later, I get a nice letter from Her Majesty's Revenue, uh, Customs Revenue that says, you know, Mr. Heaton, by order of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, uh, you have been um, you have been forgiven for your infraction against the British tax office, et cetera, et cetera. So they sent me this nice letter saying everything's germane, everything's fine. And I was like, oh, great, good, all right. And then the following year, I get a letter from them that says, uh, Mr. Heaton, it's time for you to file your taxes. And I was like, fuck that. I am not <laughs> going through this again. I know, absolutely not. Just assume I'm dead. I'm not doing this merry-go-round. <laughs> so, and that was the moment that Andrew Heaton became a libertarian. Pretty much. I was like, yeah, this is all right. I think that, you know, that actually might be the moment where I was like, bureaucracy is not predicated on logic. Bureaucracy is predicated on rules. Entirely possible. Yeah, that, that's it. You bought the taxation is theft t-shirt immediately. <laughs> right. I just, I, I, I opened that letter, immediately went to the grocery store, bought boxes of tea and threw them in a creek. <laughs> Okay, so so what have we learned here? Uh, don't when you buy souvenir dueling pistols and you're going to reenact, you know, Hamilton and Burr. Yeah. Uh, make sure that you declare those, and no yeah. matter how little money you may make in the United Kingdom, they are going to come after it. you. Like the Beatles were right. 
Honestly, the, the okay, my, my two lessons from these are one, if you have anything that looks like a gun when you're flying, let them know. Just go ahead and let them know that because it's going to come. It's good. They're going to see it in the x-ray. It's going to come up. Right. If you've got like a tactical pen, I like tactical pens, Keith, because they're, you, you never lose them. They're these right. big old tactical pens are pens you can stab people with. Yeah. They're self-defense pens. So like no, no one's going to take it and walk away like it's a big ballpoint pen. I usually think don't mention those. Just put them in your blazer. They don't they don't care or notice them. If you mention them, they steal them. Don't mention those to the TSA. But if you have something <laughs> that looks like a gun, do mention that. As far as the, uh, the the taxes thing is, what I have learned from this is don't ever interject yourself into a bureaucratic system in order to be polite. Only do it if you absolutely have to because it's just going to cause headaches for you. Like if you're, if you're moving out of it, for example, like I'm kind of disinclined to register my car when I move to a new state now because oh, yeah. I know that it's just going to cause problems. Like I would rather just I would rather just them ticket me when they find me. Yeah. And then after they ticket you, then, you know, you'll think about getting the new license plate. Right. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. But I'll, I'm going to deal with this post hoc rather than pre hoc. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing these important life lessons, Andrew. Sure thing. It was fun. Thanks, Keith. Now, as usual, that story is going to be a little bit hard to top. But my friend Katie is going to try next week. So Katie decided to put her life on hold and serve her country in the Army Reserve. That just happened to involve going to boot camp at the age of 35. Talk about what it was like to actually go through basic training as an adult and, you know, really talk about how much uh, I probably wouldn't make it through the experience. Please rate interview this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcatcher, whatever you listen to podcasts on, or just share it on social media to help people find it. Gabatron.